we talk about God's promises and all these things. There's two areas, general promise and specific with individual. If an unbeliever would come to you and ask you, you're talking about God's promises, what are they? We may say some promises about God promising to be with us, promising heaven, different things. And then what if they should ask, what did he promise you specifically? Perhaps some of us would have a ready answer and others would have to think a bit. And really think. I know the general promises, but what did he promise me? Has he ever spoken to me? And if he has, especially through prophecy in our church, those are things that are from the mouth of God. They cannot go wrong. The thing that will stop that God has made that provision for our will to be involved is if we do something opposite to what he said. And so when the promises are given, we need to know what they are for us. Because only if we know what they are specifically, for example, I know what was prophesied. I know what God has spoken to me and the vision he's given me a long time ago. Exactly what it is for my life. And although the enemy tries to make us go into different pursuits, uh, not just sinful, but legitimate things in the eyes of man, things about career and um, using your skills and networking and all these things. But if he's spoken something specifically, that means that's the path he wants me to go in. And unless I know what it is, it's a real problem, a very, very common and real dilemma to not know exactly what I'm called to do. Because only if I know what the Lord's called me to do, can I have that determination that this is what he told me to do and everything else I need to watch against. Otherwise, it will be a free-for-all. It would be trial and error. Isn't that how the world does it a lot of times? Isn't that how the stock market works? They have a reasonable guesses of what can happen, but nobody really knows. But the sure word of prophecy we have, or the word of God, is 100% accurate. How many of us have experienced that when God said, I'm going to bring your children back? How many of us have experienced, I'm going to fix this relationship? God's saying that. He thought it's impossible. God said, this year I'm going to do it. And it's happened. The word came from God's mouthpiece through prophecy. Through Pastor Herbert for just about everyone in this church. I don't know even one person that has not received prophecy during prayer or during casual conversation. And things have fallen into place about jobs and all. So when we don't have and we're in the wilderness, and God says something, that's a promise. Because God says, I'll do it. Now, if I take that, it's not only to tell the unbeliever, look, I serve a living God. It's not just a bunch of laws and principles. Deists have principles. The people 
like some of the founding fathers who believe we believe in God, but he's someone that is really not too concerned. He winds up the clock and watches it tick. That's about it. After that, he says, you're on your own. But we have the faith in the living God who cares for us, every detail, to the point that Jesus actually said, can you imagine a God, a God, any God? You look at, look at the Mesopotamians, the Egyptians. You look at the uh, Babylonians. You look at the Chinese civilization, the Indian civilization. Look at all of the histories and how they deemed God would be. And you know what you find? You find warring gods within themselves. The most famous example is from our school days, hearing about the Greek mythology. In other religions, you find gods that are competing all the time. You know what? In another religion, you have a system where the gods were created after the universe was already there. How impotent and illogical. But we have a God who speaks. And it's up to us. That's what that prioritize means, the first principle of combating pain as a mechanism for Satan to make us stop in our tracks and go the other way. Say, well, I guess I have to fend for myself. That's human nature. God's nature comes and says, but I'm with you. You don't need to do trial and error and see what works. I'm showing you what will work. I'm here to help you. You fight against that desire for comfort and pleasure and diversions. It makes us dull. And that can lead to the pride that I'll make it my way. Why not? I can, I can, I can work this out on my own. Jacob is a classic example we mentioned. A lot of disaster happened. And then the, the spirit of laziness, sluggishness, not too interested anymore. The things of God. It's a dangerous thing. And as we said in the morning call, I think it was yesterday, birds of a feather flock together. We will tend to gravitate and associate with things and people that will enable us to stay the way we'd like. So if our desire is to have the hands on the steering wheel, then we will gravitate toward things and uh, people and activities that will get our, our minds off of God's supreme command over our lives, his lordship. But if our desire is, I want to submit to the Lord more, I will find people who do the same thing and be with them. But we have to watch out for that procrastination, that pride, going backwards now. Uh, the desire to self-indulge and self-gratify and then the first thing we mentioned was that the pain, that if the devil can step up the pain just enough, like he did with Job, he told God way before he did anything, I'm telling you, he's going to curse you to your face. <laughs> the devil told God, I'm telling you, your boy, your son, your servant Job, the only reason he's doing all this praise and worship is because You've basically protected him. You've placed me off limits. I can't even touch the guy. You've blessed him so much and you've not allowed me to get near him at all. But let me just touch this 
property, children, his skin. And I'm guaranteeing you, God, he's going to turn against you. If I put myself in that scenario, and you put yourself in that scenario, the question must come forth, how much pain can the devil exert before I throw in the towel and say, I can't take it, I can't do this anymore. Christianity is not working for me. It's more idyllic and fantastic. It's not something that's practical, because look, why would I suffer like this? Some people, it's not just physical pain, it's emotional pain. A lot of wounds and a lot of self-inflicted gunshots, wounds. The result of sin, and it's a mess. And so the context in which they approach God or hear the word of God, even that's colored and skewed. But if I say, Lord, you've given me these people, Daniel and Joseph, we mentioned from Psalm 105, Job, Jeremiah, people that were just harassed repeatedly. The devil set up people to harm and kill them. They persevered. What was their secret? They had a promise from God. They had the word of God. And they had individual specific promises. They were in a position to hear and receive and they held on to it. That saw them through. And when the word of the Lord tried them, they came forth victoriously. So it's something that we need to settle, Lord, by grace. Some people say, well, you never know what you're going to do until you come to the situation. Not necessarily. We can know if we are faithful to the Lord and trusting him, he will give us the grace to persevere through any pain. Look at Richard Wombrandt founder of the Voice of the Martyrs, he and his wife Sabrina, they were they were comfortable in the 1920s and 30s. Young couple. They liked to go eat in restaurants and go dancing and just have a great time. And God's providence had it that he would meet an elderly Jewish man. That Jewish man was praying, Lord, I want somebody I believe he said another Jew that I can meet that will go and spread the gospel. Here comes this man, young man, 30-something years old, I believe, Richard Woman at that time. He lived to be out 90-something. His story is world famous. He became a firebrand for God. And through the suffering, God would have surely given him promises. And it led to the founding of an organization that has been mobilizing Christians all over the world to support the persecuted brothers and sisters. And he was just kidnapped off the streets. He was a young pastor walking the streets one day. Men came out of the car, I believe in 1949, thereabouts, put a bag over his head. And just put him inside the vehicle and took him away. Next thing you know, he's uh, in prison, then in solitary confinement. And they tried to brainwash him every day. He said, the only thing that kept me was the word, was the word of God. He held fast. He saw people's teeth broken, bones broken. 
And he saw them come back to the prison cell to continue to preach to the others. He said, what kind of powerful presence of God this is. A man who's preaching to the other prisoners, Richard is watching and hearing. Then they drag him out because he's preaching, break some of his bones, and he comes back bloodied and continues to preach with a smile. He said, I saw some of the most powerful disciples of Jesus anywhere. God kept him. He came out. Went to the United States Congress and lifted up his shirt and showed his stab wounds and different things to show what the world is doing to Christians. We need to speak up. His child was separated from the mother. She was arrested separately and put into hard labor. God brought them all out. Oh God, how faithful is the Lord. They reunited, spearheaded that organization that goes to help persecuted, widowed Christians. All types of widows and orphans, just like isn't it? It's written in the book of James. That's the real Christianity. But they held fast through the persecution because of the promise. The promise is God spoke to each of them. So, we need to live by the promises of God. Only then can we resolve that, Lord, I understand I have a full panoramic view of what happens to your people. As we said in the morning call, Acts chapter 14 and verse 21. It says the, they, they went around about encouraging the disciples in the different regions, strengthening their souls, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Acts 14, 22, 21, 22. You know what the last thing they said was, as they encouraging, encouraging them? We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. There will be a lot of hardships. You're going to follow Jesus? You're going to have pain. You will have pain. Much pain. If you're really following Jesus. But through the pain, your faith that is stretched, come forth as gold and you'll be on another plane after you go through that pain, when you come out, by the grace of God. How do I make this real in my life? What does it have to do with me in 21st century? I have to know what God said. I need to know the general promises that God has promised to every believer. Things like, lo, I'm with you even to the end of the world, end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will guide you with my eye. I'll go before you. All these things. Things like Psalm 23. Surely, goodness and mercy, nothing else but goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What a promise from God. But then, God develops us. He's waiting for us. Are you going to jump on board? Let me speak to you by name, like I did with Abraham. Let me show you what I'm going to do in your life. Are you ready for me to reveal what exactly I've called you to do? So that you can hold on to that, no matter what the devil throws at you, whether it's temptation to give up through extreme pain, painful situations. Very, very difficult. Through God's grace and His promise, we can hold on. 
It's a temptation to sit back and enjoy pleasure, sinful pleasures for a season, or pleasures that are legitimate at a wrong time to get you to do what? Satan. Divert you and miss what God has. Is it the temptation to start to assert that pride that I can make my own way? And whatever God's promise, I'll help him by manipulating, manipulating myself, maybe others. The temptation to do that, to be thought of as wise and self-sufficient and uh, beneath being mistreated so that vengeance and retaliation comes. Everything that's contrary to the Spirit of God can come in. But if I hold on to the Word of God, I say, God has treasured me and He's given me a kingdom, His kingdom. I'm not missing that for anything. I'm not letting anything distract me from that goal. I need blinders on like that horse, champion horse. So I can look straight ahead. I have a purpose in life. I have a specific goal with the time that is ticking, the sand that is falling through. That uh, instrument I have to measure time. I know that I have a allotted amount of days. Lord, would you teach me to apply my heart into wisdom by teaching me to number my days and become a one-track person. What is that? To please my God. That's all. And the fourth thing, procrastination. Procrastination, laziness. Slacking off, reading the Word of God. Saying I love God, but there's a problem. I know it. I want to cover it up. We read this morning Proverbs 29 or 28 yesterday. Whoever covers his sin will not prosper. No matter what he does, what she does. Doesn't matter what they gain. Before God's eyes is a failure. But the one who confesses, I'm wrong, Lord. I'm out of the way. I've been lazy with the things of God. Other things have crowded in. Are crowded out. You and the things of God. And then we forsake that way. I'm going to do things differently, Lord. I've got to put you first. You know what happens to a person who has been neglecting the word of God? And they say, it's got to stop. First thing when I get up, I'm going to be on my knees and seek my father and read like I used to. And I'm going to pray for everything like I used to. If I've slacked off. Grace comes. Mercy comes. And I'm able to go and do the three things that will combat the uh, failure of the promises for materializing in my life as God meant it. We can stop it. But we can reverse all of the negative things by making the priority out of God's promises. Sunday we said specifically, underline the promises God has made. Make it yours because he meant it for us, not just the history book, but what he did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's speaking to me He's speaking to me. He's telling me if I'm faithful, he'll make a great nation out of me. How? In the kingdom of God, in the future, 
in the eternal realm, God only knows what he has prepared for them that love him. Who knows if he gives planets to rule in. All kinds of things. We have no idea. All of that can be shortchanged or missed altogether by our failure to believe. And that's how the Israelites did not come in. The Lord repeatedly said, the reason they didn't enter is because unbelief. And from there comes pride and murmuring, complaining. The Bible says clearly by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote, these things were written before time for you and for me as examples what we should not do as Israelites did in the wilderness. But be like the others, Joshua, Caleb, and all the young people who made it, who the fathers said, we and our children are going to be consumed in this desert. Where would you lead us to, Moses? God is not doing right by us. Where the Lord came back, he said, the very children that you thought are not going to make it, you're not going to make it, but they're going to make it. And so, we're able to say, God has promised me this. Holding on to God's word. He promised to make me the head and not the tail. Spiritually, first and foremost. I can be defeated. Because God can be defeated. I'm in him. I'm in Christ. So no matter what happens that looks like defeat, I've got to hold on to that promise. The Lord said, I'm with you always. I will prosper you. I will overturn what the enemy has been doing or is trying to do. I am the Lord that heals you. Believe in the Lord in his prophets. You be prosperous and be established. That's what God said. I have to hold on to all these things, Lord, but you told me to believe you, believe your prophets. You said, if I do that, I'll be established. I will prosper. That's all I know. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow your prophets. Key word there is your, referring to God, not any prophet. We need to know the word of God to know whether it's God's mouthpiece or not. If God is speaking, then God says, reverently receive the counsel as coming from me because it is. It's for your good. I have to prioritize. I have to put that, and I mentioned maybe some people write it on the mirror, put something like a sticky note on the phones, uh, wherever you rest at night. Because that's how valuable his promises to me. God honors those who honor his word. I said, God, you told me this. It's going to happen no matter what I'm facing right now. That'll help me to continue to do what? Persevere. Persevere. And believing what God has promised you, no matter what happens. Then, I take that leap of faith, which is even more than just persevering. More than prioritizing. It's praising Him before I see anything materialize. Thanking Him. This is how I build my faith. Exercise it like a muscle. It starts to grow. Leave it dormant. It atrophies, wastes away. And we said God wants to give us gifts. He's so eager to bless us. But 
You see how the enemy can just make us sort of be in limbo, cloud us, confuse us, especially bringing trials, hoping like he hoped with Job that we will abandon God. God doesn't need us. We need him. But Job held fast to his integrity, his faith in God. He had a lot of questions, especially back then. It said that he probably lived around the time of Abraham or before that. There's no Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He had nothing written. No word of God he can hold, but he had the word of God spoken to him. He got up early in the morning praying for his family. Do you do that? Do I do that? Every morning he would get up. He was a righteous man. Every morning without fail. He's not into, I have to get my coffee. I have to go do this today. I'm getting all geared up for vacation or this or that. It's a different mindset altogether. I'm in the presence of God. Whatever he wants me to do, that's what I do. And again, not in a servile way with fear, but with joy because I like to please my father. He's been so good to me and he will always do good for me. And when I please him, he'll open up more for me. That's just one of the benefits. More blessings. So these are key things that the Lord gave for last Sunday. And it's easy to hear it and miss it altogether. File it somewhere for maybe later use. God has given it to us to use now. How do we inherit them? These promises in the same way. Like we inherit the general promises, the specific individualized promises, by not giving in to the pressure to quit or stop believing because of the pain that comes. By not, capital N-O-T, giving in to the lure of pleasure to derail us from inheriting the promise of God. By not giving into any spirit of pride, trying to bait us to manipulate our way into realizing the promise or making our own prophecies, self-fulfilling prophecies, self-proclaimed prophecies, going on our merry way, totally opposite from God's path, deceived. By not giving into the temptation to procrastinate or become lazy, Doing what God commanded me to do in anticipation of the promise being fulfilled. You think what God has spoken to you. I have to think of what God has spoken to me if I don't know it. I need to say, this is what my eyes are going to look on. Every day. I'm not going to miss my calling. I'm not going to miss my appointment with God. He's my priority. And thou shalt love, Mark 12.30, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Does that sound like priority? Top priority. With Jesus said, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. God is the priority. That's what God will see in us. 
and it's reflected through our respect, reverence, and holding fast to the word, a promise that he's given us. God has brought us through and is bringing us through a season of uh, refinement, severe trials for some. But remember Psalm 105.19. Just like with Joseph, God's promised us things, general and specific. We need all of it. Hold it. Don't let it go. That's what it means to keep the word. Actively hold it in front of me. Post it places. Put it on the phone with all the devices we have. Put what God said, even the prophecy. There are some of you, a number of you who have recorded what God has spoken. The pastor has prayed and God's given the prophecies. The people who value it, they're seeing it come to pass. But if I hold it loosely, it's one of my many teachings that I hear and really despise when the Spirit of God is speaking directly. God will say, you don't value me at all, don't think it's worthy, then I won't value you. He said so, depending on the individual, where they're at. There's a time in which God will say, you don't listen to me, I won't listen to you when you cry. We've read that in the Proverbs. It's a covenant. It's not one-sided, it's two-sided. God says, I will do this, there's a condition, if you do this. We've been sold on this unconditional love that's conception from the pit of hell when it's distorted outside of scriptural definition. God comes to me. He never told me I had to be a Jew. He never told me that I had to be an engineer. I had to memorize all the books of the Bible before I can come to him. He never told me, clean up your act before you come to me. He told me, come as you are. And not just me, you, billions of human beings. All of you, he said. There's no condition for you to come to me. But if you want to stay with me, you've got to give up your ways and take my way which is the way of life everyone can come and be a spectator there's no condition the Lord never laid conditions for people to come hear him he said if you want to follow me there are conditions so we need to know at what point the unconditional love becomes a distortion the way people think because it just clouds their mind they think oh No matter what I do, God loves me unconditionally. He's a covenant-keeping God. He has conditions all over the Bible. And uh, we take that seriously. We esteem that. God's instruction is warnings. And we keep ourselves from falling to the ditch. So he pronounced the promise to Joseph. But before it can materialize, Joseph had to go through the testing period. Psalm 105.19 Until the time that his word came to pass 
the word of the Lord tested him. Before God could actually bring into the physical realm of Joseph's experience on earth, that elevation, bring him out of the prison, putting him in the palace, and fulfilling the dreams he gave him when he was 17 years old, took until about 30 years old. All those years, he had to hold on to the promise. If he would have let it slip, he could have taken a plan B, ended up outside of God's will. Whether it was through the pain of the iron on his feet, the mistreatment, the lust or the enticement for pleasure through part of his wife, whether it was pride, anger, hey, this king steward here, he told me, that he would uh, put in a good word for me. He forgot. Now I got to do something else to get out of here. Didn't manipulate. He believed God's promise. And he didn't procrastinate. He didn't get lazy and say, I'm going to neglect praying to God. He would have surely communed with God. Communed with God. Just like Enoch. How do you know? You see the fruit of his life. You can't live like that. You can't live a godly life without talking to God continually. Following him? You can't escape out of temptation. That's so much of pressure. At an opportune time, the devil came, so he thought. Joseph kept God's word, his promise, right in front of him. All the time, he prioritized God's promise. That's what I heard from God. That's what I'm living for. That's all I know. That's all I want to know. Because God's word is what matters. And he, he persevered because he kept that in front of him. And he made up his mind, I'm not letting it go. Whether it's pain, pleasure, pride, or procrastination, temptation to do all of those things, or give in to those things. He said, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to wait. I know my Redeemer lives, Job said. I know in the latter days he's going to stand upon the earth. My eyes, nobody else's eyes, my eyes are going to see him. I don't feel him at all right now. I don't know what's going on. I'm in the worst position of my life. I wish I could die. That's how bad it is. But, but I know God is faithful and he will not leave the innocent the hand of the enemy. And Joseph finally, he was able to praise God. You can't be mentally sane going through severe trial unless you have a song in your heart. How many people who are slaves in any country, even we think about the U.S. history, the spirituals, the songs that they call spirituals, many of them were formed in the fields of people who are oppressed as they encourage one another talking about Moses talking about freedom and God's promise they talked about Joshua they made songs they encourage one another there are people I heard in Pakistan Christians who are given the job of going almost their whole body into a horrible sewage because they won't give any other jobs to the Christians. They're considered to be 
the lowest in society. Just because they trust Christ. And they say, you want a job? And what happens? The husband, the father, every day goes to get completely filthy in human waste to clean it out in these sewage, sewers, literally. And have to come out and wash and wash and wash to be completely clean again to get back into the house every day. How can they do it? And it's reported that they're thanking God because they know they're going through this because of their stand for Christ. How can you go through it unless you have a song? Unless you're able to praise God. It's easy to get bitter. But praise signifies faith is alive and active when it's under persecution. And somebody's able to praise God. So it's a growth over here. There's a tremendous growth. And we have biblical examples. And as we close, something I didn't say Sunday. Three areas in which the word of the Lord tries us. The word of the Lord will try us just like Joseph in our absolute trust. Absolute trust in what he has promised us. Secondly, it will try us in our patient continuance as we heard from the book of Hebrews. The word of the Lord will try you and try me in our patient continuance in that faith regarding what he's promised us no matter what. Finally, the word of the Lord will try our humble submission, obedience to his moral directives, what he says to do to keep ourselves pure, undefiled, unentangled with this world in its way of thinking, its mold, keep separate. Our humble submission, just do it God's way. I'm not going to watch anything, hear anything that is against God's moral law. Joseph did that. It'll test us in our absolute trust in what he's promised, in our patient continuance in what he's promised, our humble submission to his commandments while waiting on him for the promise to be Fulfilled or perfected. As we're praying or going through this period of repeated trials, pain, God is meant for us to grow. Even with Job, although he was a perfect man in the sense of Mature. He was a godly, mature man. He was taken a step higher through the trials. He really got to know God more intimately by the end of the trial. As severe as it was. When it seemed like hell was winning and he was going to just lose everything. He came out knowing God even better. Being blessed all the more as he endured the trial by God's grace. So our eyes begin to see from heaven's perspective God is up to something to change me to be more like him and enjoy his presence and know him better. Oh, if I can keep that objective in mind I can face anything. Because I know God will bring something very good and far more glorious 
than what I had before I went into this season of trial. That's what's happening with our church. God has given us the privilege to learn the lessons he's always teaching. God is always speaking. To really take all of this and rehearse it in our minds and say, Lord, the instruction is from you to change me and bless me. Shall I lose my blessing, Lord, by ignoring it or minimizing it or forgetting it? The Bible says, don't be forgetful hearers. But people who look intently at the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and say, I have a lot of growing to do, a lot of changes. And I want it. I want that more than anything else. So I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to implement this. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to especially put the promises God has told me. What I read in the Bible, what I hear in the sermons, the general promises for the body of Christ. It's for me. I'm in the body. It's for me. I want all of it. Whatever God has for the body of Christ, for the bride of Christ, I want it because I'm part of it. It's my birthright. I'm not throwing it away. I'm not going to go after something cheap, cheap thrills, and miss this treasure. And the specific things God has spoken for me, for my life, for the calling of God on my life, the things he's spoken to me when I was going through my worst periods, the severe trials, I bring it up again. Lord, you spoke this to me. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to memorize it. I keep on meditating on what you said. That man shall prosper in everything he does. That woman, that child shall prosper in everything he or she does. And I'm going to determine that no matter what, I'm not leaving the Lord or his word. It'll be my top priority every day. And in the midst of trials, all day long, I will praise God. You know, practically speaking, when you keep praising God, you keep praying to him, there's no room for the devil to come in. He'll try. He'll knock, try to force his way in, but he can't because he's occupied. The Lord will keep him at bay. So our thought life is very important. We have to get it under the reins, under control, by becoming occupied with thanking God, talking to him, rehearsing his promises day in and day out. And that fruit will show in our lives that stability forms and we won't be falling into sin and temptation and snare, bitter and complain, murmur, lying and stealing and murdering. The downward spiral can be very quick for a believer. Even the most virtuous, strongest believer who becomes presumptuous and lets his or her guard down thinks that they can wing it, do it on their own. The fall can be very sudden. I should say, the fall can be very catastrophic. Never happens overnight. But blessed be God's name. Paul says, um, I didn't cease to warn you day and night. He says, we warn the household of faith, the people of God, in order to present every man perfect before Christ on that day. And the word of God is loving because he loves us. He helps us to change course while there's time. And the promises are exceeding 
great and abundant. But these things are spoken and given at certain seasons to make us face reality so that whatever our loose ends in our walk with God can be tight, tightened. We can be fit and trim and uh, ready to obtain the prize. Praise God. Praise the Lord for helping us to hear the word again, the recap, the standing and also what we uh, heard after that. Even some of the things we didn't hear on Sunday last. Blessed be God's name. God gave 66 books. Over 32,000 verses. But uh, 1,189 chapters. Every word of God inspired. He's a God who deals in specifics. And uh, the map is very detailed. The course that leads to heaven. And the course of victory. We treasure it, and then we will make it with abundant glory. Praise God. We are going to pray and thank God this week of fasting prayer. God purges us every month. It's a breakthrough. You know in your own life, brothers and sisters. I know in my life. The times in which all of a sudden the ears perk up, spiritually speaking, and we are adamant in not letting go of what we heard. And it determined 100%. I'm putting this into practice. I don't, maybe I don't understand it all. Maybe it's a lot. But whatever I understand, I'm going to hold. Whatever I understand, I'm going to put into practice. And I'm going to ask God to help me understand more so that I can grow. I really do want to be a person that God can trust with the gospel and the doctrines of truth to preach and help somebody by my life and my preaching, to help them. We all know there are a lot of Christians, a lot of people in the churches. They're lost. They've been fed uh a generic wishy-washy kind of gospel. They don't even know what discipleship means. They just heard into the church, heard into programs, heard into men's movements and women's movements, a lot of noise. But their lives are a mess. Countless of them, countless numbers of them. We have seen that. Especially the leaders. The personal lives and families are a mess. There's idolatry right there. But it's a professional exterior. And it's the thing we have to do. It's a good thing. God is coming to change all that through you. The more you grasp the word of God, the more you live it and you determine that this is the time that I'm going to really buckle down 
and uh, actually do what my father told me to do. No deviation. I know I can do it because if I couldn't do it, he wouldn't tell me to do it. He's not a mean God. He's a good God. So if he told me to beware of these things that Lucifer will come with, I'm going to guard against it. He didn't tell it for, me, for nothing. And if he told me, do these three things so that you can be safe and prosper, I'm going to see, am I doing these things? And I'm going to do it now. That's the beginning of revival. That will work amongst your family. Some have actually experienced that. And the families have noticed. Co-workers, neighbors. But then what happens? There's a dowsing of the flame. All of a sudden there's that cooling off, quote-unquote. The fire is gone. And pretty soon we blend in with everybody, the relatives, the neighbors, the colleagues. The only difference is I may have a fish stuck on my car, as they say, or a cross hanging from my neck, or some quote-unquote worship CDs in my collection in the car or in my bag. And if the conversation ever comes to God, I may chime in a little bit and say, yeah, I love God. Jesus first. Amen. God wants people who really follow him, who really fear him. Praise the Lord.